And I hope you do. Would you turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Book of Ephesians, chapter 3. As you're making your way to Ephesians 3, in a few moments, we'll pick up in verse 14. But about a year ago, a really cool movie came out. And it was a sequel to a timeless classic. Maybe you've seen it, Top Gun. Yeah. Top Gun Maverick came out, and it, it is a great movie. And in it, there is this particular scene. By the way, if you have not seen Top Gun Maverick, um, well, you've had the time. This is a spoiler alert. So in this scene, towards the end of the movie, the whole movie is building up to this one particular mission. And this mission is highly dangerous. The risk is great. The likelihood of return is slim. And part of this mission, in order for it to be successful, a squadron of F-18s led by none other than Top Gun, uh, I'm sorry, none other than Maverick, Tom Cruise, they have to negotiate this, uh, this terrain. They're flying at nearly the speed of sound, winding their way in a, uh, the valley of a mountain range. And up above them are anti-aircraft missiles and guns and, of course, the enemy radar. And if they came up above the height of that mountain range, they would immediately be at risk of the anti-aircraft. So they had to fly at the speed of sound um, th through this winding valley. Well, another a key player in this mission success is a character by the call sign Rooster. Maybe you know Rooster. There's a lot of backstory with Rooster, and it goes all the way back to the first Top Gun from the 80s. You'll have to watch it. But Rooster, he is critical. Even though he is just one, of the, uh, one on the squadron, his assignment is critical to mission success. But as they're about halfway through this winding turn, fear sets in. Doubt sets in. Lack of confidence and worry set in. And Rooster begins to throttle back. And he disengages in the mission. You know today that there are a lot of Christians in the world today who have started off full afterburner, speed of sound, on mission for Jesus. But through the worries of life and the comfort of the world, they have either knowingly or perhaps unknowingly throttled back and are disengaged in the mission of God. Perhaps that's some of you. Others of you, maybe you are like Maverick and you are full afterburner, going for it, keep going. But some of us have perhaps disengaged. And I believe that as we study this portion of Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, to believers. And he's praying this prayer over them. It's the second prayer that he prays in this book. And this prayer is a prayer about empowerment. It's a prayer of engagement. It's a prayer that says, believer living in Ephesus, because of the love of God, engage in the mission of God. And we're going to learn today, through our text, three prayers that you and I can pray every day to help us re-engage into the mission of God. If you're taking notes, our title today is simply Re-Engage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we pray now, Lord, as we pause, we, as we open your word, would you open our hearts? Would you engage our minds and our souls and our spirit? to what your word would say to us. I pray, God, that you would help quiet any distractions for, from the day or anything later in this week, but for this moment, we would be attentive to what your word would say to us. So, God, I pray for uh, just your anointing, that it would be your words and not mine this morning. And, God, we pray that as you open, as we open your word, you would open our hearts. Lord, speak to us. Change us. Help us to be fully engaged in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Paul starts off, he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. 
If you're taking notes, the first way that we can re-engage in the mission of God is that we would pray prayers that are based on God's purposes. See, Paul says, he starts off, he says, for this reason. See, Paul understood that God's purpose in Christ was to make a way of salvation for everyone who would believe. Paul realized that God is not just the God of the Jews. He's not just the God of a few. And Paul is so, evidently, he is so overwhelmed, not just by this realization, but also by his participation in God's mission. He says that God would invite me to be a part of the story he is writing is overwhelming. It drops him to his knees for this reason. Paul alluded to that in the previous section. Look with me, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise, uh, in, the promise in Christ Jesus. He says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace. This grace was given me that I would preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches in Christ. Paul outlines for us three key points that we all need to understand. He outlines for us the story that God is writing, that God is not the God of a few, but the God of every nation, every tribe, every language, and every people. He outlines the mission. The mission is to make Jesus known here and everywhere. And then he, says that he shows the invitation. He says that I would be one who would preach it. The invitation is that we would get in the story, that you and I are invited to get into God's story and engage in his mission of making Jesus known here and everywhere. Paul has this moment where he not only understands that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, but he realizes that for reasons far beyond his understanding, God has chosen him and invited him to be a part of the story he is writing. Paul thinks that God would use a man like me. It drops him to his knees. Church, you know that God today is looking in this room for people whom he can use? for people who will get in his story, engage in his mission, and accept his invitation. God is looking for people today. And Paul's response, though, to that realization is prayer. And this leads us to an important principle about prayer. I have a confession. Far more often than I'd like to admit, I pray prayers that are based on the things that I desire. They are based on the things that I want. Can anyone relate to that or am I alone? Okay, cool. Wow, we're a much more open group than 9 o'clock. <laughs> 9 o'clock, there's like one person. That's me. Everyone's like, no, no, I, I pray scripture all the time. No, but here's the thing. So often, right, we can pray, and, and, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with us, you know, praying the desires of our heart. Our, but, but here's the important principle. When we pray our will, what are we doing? We're saying, God... I'm writing a story about my life, and I'm going to invite you to have the opportunity to be a part of what I'm doing. See, but God says, that's cute. However, <laughs> I'm writing a story, one that spans all eternity, that is greater than the universe. I'm writing a story, and I'm inviting you to be a part of it. You see the difference? So how does that happen? How do we change our prayer life? It begins right here. Bible reading and prayer go hand in hand. An effective prayer life is a prayer life that is founded on the Word of God because it is the Word of God where he has revealed to us his story and his will. And when we, we, when we pray the will of God, we are asking him to do what he already said he will do. Get in the story. Pray prayers that are based on God's purposes. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says it like this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to whose will? His will. He hears us. 
to re-engage in the mission, to get in the story, our prayers must be based on God's purposes. But then what? Read with me what happens next. Verse 16. Here's Paul's prayer, his prayer to the Ephesians. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the fullness, to the measure of all the fullness of God. Friend, the second way, the second prayer that we can pray to re-engage into the mission of God is to simply pray this. Pray for renewal and mission. Say that with me. Renewal and mission. We're going to unpack that. This is going to be the topic for a majority of our teaching this morning, this idea of renewal and mission. Paul outlines for us four specific prayer requests in this passage. He prays in verse 16 for a strengthening, in verse 17 for a deepening, in verse 18 for a grasping, and finally in verse 19 for a filling. Now, these four specific prayer requests, they're not exclusive of one another. They're all interconnected. One prayer request builds upon the other. He prays that the inner, inner person will have spiritual strength, which leads to a deepening experience with Christ, which leads to a greater understanding of God's love, which results in us being filled or satisfied to, with the fullness of God in us. So Paul says, through prayer... God renewed Paul's heart, deepening his relationship with God. And as he increasingly understood God's love for him, he is then compelled by the love of God to go into all the world and make that love known. Aren't you thankful today that God also loves you? And not only does he also love you, he also loves your neighbors. He loves your coworkers. He loves the person who cut you off this morning. He loves the person who took the last cup of coffee right before you got there. He loves them. And as we look around the sanctuary and we see the flags of the nations, we are reminded that our God is not just the God of a few, but he is the God of every nation, of every tribe, of every people, of every language, and he loves them too. So Paul prays then in verse 16 for this strengthening. He prays that we'd be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit, where? In our inner being. Now, the presence of the Holy Spirit is in every believer. If you gave your life to Jesus, if you're a believer this morning, the Holy Spirit is, is living inside of you. But that's not what Paul is praying for. Paul is praying for the power of the Holy Spirit to be activated in your life. It is the power of the Spirit that engages us into God's mission. The power of the Holy Spirit is what takes you and I from being on the team to getting in the game. The power of the Holy Spirit is what takes you and I from wearing the uniform to going to battle. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that takes you and I from going to church to being the church. And that requires the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. In order for the church to be strong, the Christian must be strong. Now Jesus, he carried out his ministry on earth in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the only resource that God the Father has given his church and his people to be effective in the world today. There is no amount of schooling, no amount of podcasts, of books, no amount of charm, charisma, or talent can substitute the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Somebody once said it like this, with all of your getting, get the Spirit of God. So what is this strengthening? 
This strengthening is the grit. It is the resolve, the perseverance to keep going. Through life's trials and tribulations, through the mountaintops and in the valleys, it is the Holy Spirit's power working in your life for, to not give up and to persevere and to thrive and to somehow through it all say God did immeasurably more. It requires the Holy Spirit. And as we talk about God's story that he is writing, that he is not the God of a few but the God of every nation, tribe, language, and people, as we understand God's mission is to make Jesus known here and everywhere, and his invitation to us is to get in the story and be a part of the mission, we realize that we need the Holy Spirit's power to accomplish it. And here's what I'm learning. I'm going to tell you I've got it down up here, but God's still working it out in here. He's still working it out in my heart. What I'm learning is that this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of lost souls. It requires the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine to carry out the mission. Now, as we said, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you. That inner you is your spiritual self. It's your spiritual being. The inner you is the part of you where God lives and where God dwells. It's the part of you, as Paul would write in Galatians, that our spirit would keep in step with God's spirit. So if you're a believer, the inner you is alive. But if you're an unbeliever this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the spiritual part of you is dead. Paul wrote that. He taught us that in Ephesians chapter 2. If you look with me, he says, As for you, you were, past tense, he's writing to believers at this point, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But God made you what? Alive in Christ Jesus. So when a person, remember, he, these people he's writing to, they are physically alive, but at one point they were spiritually dead. So when a person gives their life to Jesus Christ, their spiritual self a miracle takes place. Their spiritual self passes from death unto life. Everyone has a Lazarus experience spiritually. They come to life. Paul's praying that this inner being, our spiritual being, would be energized by the power of the Holy Spirit in order that we would engage in the mission of God. The inner you and the inner me have some traits that need to be identified. Let's learn a little bit about our inner self. Our inner self can see. Remember, this is the spiritual part of you. The spiritual part of you can see, can hear, can taste, can feel, needs to be exercised, has to be cleansed, and must be fed. Now, as we look at this, I want you to do something. If you have your phones, take it out and take a picture. There are... There are seven specific characteristics of our spiritual being that Scripture highlights. And as we learned earlier, to be effective, most effective in our prayer life, we want to pray the word and the will of God. And Paul is praying that our inner being would be strengthened. So as you take a picture of this, along with those Scriptures, there's seven up here seven days in a week. Here's my challenge to you from this day till next week. You take one of these, and every day you pray that this inner part of you would be strengthened by the Spirit's power. And you pray that scripture, that that word of God would come to bear fruit in your inner being, because it is the inner part of you that engages in relationship with God. Sometimes we have difficulty hearing God, don't we? Does everyone always hear from God perfectly all the time? No, good. Because if there was a hand up, I'm like, I need some notes. <laughs> no, but our spiritual ears, they need strengthening. Our spiritual eyes need strengthening. Our inner being, it needs to be strengthened. Hebrews 1 tells us that God speaks at, at many times and in various ways. Did you know that God will primarily always speak to you through his word? 
But God will also speak to us in other ways. All those ways would be confirmed by his word. I love how Mark Batterson puts it. He identifies six other secondary ways that God speaks to us. He will speak to us through desires, dreams, open and closed doors. He will speak through us through people, promptings, and pain. But all of those ways will line up with his word. And we need our inner being to be strengthened in order that we would rightly discern the voice and the will of God in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. You know you're getting older and falling apart? Some of you are like, yeah, I know. I've had like 20 hip replacements or whatever. Yeah, you get some upgrades. But no, but it's true. We, we, are, we are aging. We are, we, our outward, our physical self is wasting away. But look at the hope that we have. What does he say? He says, yet, despite the physical you getting old, the inner you is being renewed. How? Day by day by day. It is a process as you walk with Jesus, as you pray for that strengthening of your inner being, that you would be renewed. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. What eyes is he talking about, physical or spiritual? Spiritual. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. When our inner being is strengthened, we then have the confidence to live by faith and not by sight. We need the Holy Spirit's power to make Jesus known here and everywhere. He's writing a story and inviting you and I to be a part of it. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 really kind of outlines that for us. He says, you will receive power. This power is the same power mentioned here. It's the same as the one that Paul prayed for. In Ephesians 3, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The mission is to make Jesus known everywhere, locally, regionally, globally. That's going to take Holy Spirit power because this generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls. So get in the story. Pray for the strengthening of your inner being. Verse 17, Paul's second prayer request is for a deepening of experience with Jesus. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. There are three verbs here. If you don't mind writing in your Bibles, you can circle these three verbs. Paul uses these words, dwell, rooted, and established. And they all convey the idea of depth, of going deeper. He says that the result of an inner strengthening is that Christ will dwell in our hearts. Dwell simply means to settle down, to find his home. That as our inner being is strengthened, Christ will be at rest in our hearts, in your heart. Now, when a person gives their life to Jesus, God moves in. But sometimes we can still be unsettled. That unsettledness is a result of us trying to live one foot in the world and one foot in the will of God. You know the story. Back in Genesis 18 and 19... God and two angels come to visit Abraham. Abraham's living in a tent. And when God and these angels come, Abraham was a man of faith and obedience. And they come and they spend the day with Abraham. They settle down so much so that they even share a meal with Abraham. But the purpose of God coming was not just to hang out with Abraham for a day. Part of his purpose in coming was to investigate the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Lot, I'm sorry, Abraham had a nephew. His nephew's name is Lot. Lot was also, we would say, a believer. But Lot chose to live in Sodom. And when God came to warn Lot to get out of Sodom, 
God sent his angels ahead. See, God didn't go to Sodom because God did not feel at home in Lot's home as he did in Abraham's tent. So wherever you are, God desires that your heart be the place where Jesus rests, where the place where Jesus is settled, that you would have peace with God. And that requires a rooting and establishing of love. See, God's family, of whom he is the father, Scripture tells us, we're to be known by our love for God and our love for one another. But people can be hard to love, can't they? I wonder what God says about you and I. He's like, yeah, they're a tough one. But I love what Jesus said in John 13. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another as, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This love is to have deep roots. It's to be well-established. But how does that happen? This goes back to that idea of renewal and mission. If we'll put a graphic up on the screen here, give us an idea. We're going to keep this up for a moment. Let me explain how renewal and mission works. See, God desires that his kingdom would come both into our hearts, right, that's renewal, that the gospel does a work in your heart, that your life is renewed by your relationship with Jesus. So God desires his kingdom to come both in our hearts and he desires that his kingdom come into the world. That's missions. They happen together. The gospel is meant to work in our own heart, driving us closer to God. And as we are driven closer to God, we have a deepening understanding of his love for us and for others. And we are then compelled by the love of God to go out on mission to tell the world about Jesus. Because he is the God of every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. His mission is to make Jesus known here and everywhere he invites you to get in the story. And as we step out to go on mission, we have a greater understanding of our ever-increasing need and dependency on God which drives us back to his heart. We are renewed. And then we go back out on mission. Jesus did this all the time. He was alone with the Father, praying. And then he got up and he went about his day. And, and he encountered 5,000 hungry people on the side of a hill one day in Galilee. And he went on a detour and he ministered to these people all day and he fed them. You know the miracle, the loaves and the fishes. And then at the end of doing that mission, he sent his disciples on ahead. And what does Scripture tell us? He went back away to a quiet place. And what did he do? He prayed. Renewal. The next day, what did he do? He's back out on mission. What is he doing? Then he's back with the Father. Renewal. Renewal and mission go hand in hand. It's how God works. Verse 18, his next prayer request is that we would grasp the love of God grasp the love of Christ. And this carries, this word grasp, carries the idea of understanding something enough that we can apply it to our lives. Understanding with application. So renewal and missions drive each other. As the gospel takes hold in our hearts, we are naturally drawn to God's work in the world. God's work in the world naturally calls us back to a deepening of our relationship with him and a greater realization of his love for us. Our need for God, our need for God is so much deeper than we'll ever understand. God's love for you, his love for me, his love for the world is so much more than we could ever know. You know, you and I, Paul tells us his, his love is, 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 we can't understand it. His love for you is beyond our ability to fully understand. Yet Paul prays, I pray that you would grasp just a little bit of it. 
just enough of it, an understanding of it. God's love is not abstract. It is dimensional. He kind of outlines that. Look with me on the screen. He says that Paul's love or God's love has width to it. It is wide enough to encompass all of humanity. Remember, God is not just the God of a few, but the God of every nation, tribe, language, and people. God's love is long enough to last for all eternity. He's not going to run out of love for you. It is high enough to take you to heaven. There is nothing that you need to do or can do to even come close to earning your way to heaven. His love is enough. And it is deep enough to reach the worst of sinners. There is nothing that you have done or will ever do that could ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. His love is deep enough. But there are some perhaps in this room, watching on, online, maybe you believe that God doesn't love you. Or maybe you're, 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 you're believing that, man, the more good things I do, then the more God must love me in return. That is inaccurate. Because God loves you before the foundations of the earth were laid. And there is nothing that can separate you from that love. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, he says, I am convinced, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers in hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or earth below, indeed nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in, revealed in Christ Jesus. Friend, are you convinced that God loves you? Are you convinced that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Do not let the enemy get in your head. He loves you with an inseparable love. And he prays that all the Lord's holy people, that the church locally, corporately, and globally will grasp the reality of God's inseparable love. And by that understanding, would be compelled to get in the story, to engage in the mission, to tell the world about Jesus. He invites you today to be a part of what he is doing. He prays his fourth prayer request in verse 19 that we would be filled to the fullness. See, God desires that we experience his fullness. You know, the world today offers many options to experience a type of fulfillment in life. And, and many of them sound really good, but they all appeal to our flesh. And it is the world's enticement of our flesh is what weakens and impedes our ability to live by faith and not by sight. That's why it's important that every day we pray that our inner being would be strengthened. The Apostle John outlines for us kind of the world's tactics, the enemy's tactics in weakening us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. I will say, some things the world offers is nice. I do like air conditioning, things like that. But it goes deeper than that. For when you love the world... You do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see with our physical eyes, and pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But whoever does, whoever pleases God will live forever. So what makes this difficult is that the world offers very enticing ways to be fulfilled. And we could summarize some as we could say the world offers passion, possession, position, 
The world offers us things that make us feel good about ourselves. The world offers us a lot of stuff. I don't know about you, but I just feel like I've got a lot of stuff. No matter how much I clean out my garage, there's still stuff there. The world offers us position, that we would be somebody. We can summarize it this way. The world offers sex, offers salary, offers status. But these things, all, they all have two things in common. One, they appeal to the physical you, not the spiritual you. Second, like the physical you, they are all fading away. They are all dying. They offer only temporary fulfillment. Romans tells us that do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your minds. Renewal and mission. They go hand in hand. Jesus says this, you know the verse well, John 10, 10. The thief comes, how? Only to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief comes, Satan comes, to rob you and I, to rob our spiritual, our inner being of a relationship fulfilled by God. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it to what? The full. See, pursuing the things of this world, it will never satisfy. Only Jesus will satisfy. And when a heart is settled in faith in Christ, God rests in your life. He becomes at home in your heart. He dwells there. And there is this tranquil peace about you that no matter the storms of life and the trials and tribulations you walk through, there is a steady undercurrent of the peace of God which transcends all understanding in and through your life. Why? Because Christ is dwelling there. Because he is at home there. And nothing can substitute that. It is only Christ himself. So as we talk about this, there is a story that God is writing. It is a story that he is not the God of a few, but the God of every nation, tribe, language, and people. The mission is to make Jesus known here and everywhere, and his invitation to you and to me and you watching online is that we would get in his story, that we would re-engage in his mission, that we would put the story of our lives down and we would take up the story of God, which spans all eternity. And with that understanding and with that prayer that Paul just prayed, he then breaks out into something we call a doxology. It is simply a praise to God. And he, he picks it up in verse 20. Read with me. As a result of everything Paul is just processing right now, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Our third point of re-engagement today is that we would pray prayers that believe God is able. Do you know today that whatever you're facing, God is able. He's able. And I want to share with you a few of the infinite abilities of God. Look with me on the screen. What is God able to do? God is able to make you stand. God is able to establish you. God is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. He is able to make all grace abound to you. He is able to build you up. God is able to subdue all things. He is able to save you to the uttermost. There is no one whom God cannot reach and save. And above and beyond all of that, God is still able to do what? Immeasurably more. So whatever you're facing, whatever's staring at you, whatever valley you might be in, doubts you have, fears of today, worries of tomorrow, friend, God is able. He's able to do it. I don't want to just pray more often. I want to pray more prayers that believe God is able. I want to expand my prayer life. I don't want you to. I want to pray uncomfortable prayers, not to test God's ability, but to prove him. 
And I want you to do that because God is looking for people in this room who will join him in the story that he is writing that will span all of eternity that we would engage in his mission of making Jesus known here and everywhere because he's not the God of a few, but the God of every nation, tribe, language, and people. Church, pray prayers that believe God is able. And what you have to do, what I have to do, is we have to separate those things that appeal to our flesh. And we have to lay all of those at the foot of the cross and say, God, none of this is worthwhile because you and you alone are worthy of my whole life. You are worthy of it all. There is going to come a day in your life and in mine. I don't know when that day is. You don't know when that day is. But there's going to come a day where you're going to wake up and it will be your last day. I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, man, I'm so glad I played it safe. So glad I just went to church and never got to be the church. So glad I wore the, so glad I was on the team but never got in the game. I don't want to do that. And I believe that you don't want to do that either. God is writing a story. He has a mission. And he's inviting you and I into it. Luke, who, who wrote Acts, the book of Acts, he captured, summarized, the Apostle Paul's life. Nearing the end of Paul's life, it's said of this of him, it comes from Acts 20. Paul would say, my life, I want you to think about your life for a moment as we read this. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Jesus is inviting you to be a part of what he is doing in the world today. And Ephesians tells us, we just read it, that what we do in this life, in faith, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that will last for eternity and it will bring glory to God forever and ever. The only things worthwhile, the only worthy cause of expending our life for is for the glory of God. So get in the story. Re-engage in his mission. Accept the invitation. We learned three ways to engage this morning. First, that we would pray prayers that are based on God's purposes. That we would pray prayers of renewal and mission. And that we would pray prayers that believe God is able. In Top Gun, Rooster had this moment where he put his doubts aside his fears away, and he believed in the mission. If you've seen the movie, you know the scene. He throttles up and goes full afterburner. He's just one of hundreds that were a part of that mission that day, but his role is critical. Believer, you're one of tens of millions of Christians in the world today. But the part that God has for you is mission critical. Don't throttle back. Re-engage in the mission of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, God, that you are able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. You're writing a story. You're inviting us in. And Lord, for some, that invitation begins with a relationship with you, where you said, come and follow 
me. Maybe there are some of you here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Life begins when Christ enters in. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never received the forgiveness of sins, if the spiritual you has never come to life, would you just raise your hand now saying, I want to invite Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Is there anybody here? Would you just raise your hand? Watching online, there's a number on the screen. Second, I want to ask you this. Some of you are perhaps disengaged from the mission of God. But you know today that God can do immeasurably more. Some of you need to stop writing your story and start getting in God's story. If that's you, feel God's calling you to re-engage. Would you just raise your hand? I want to get back in. I don't want to leave anything on the field. I don't want to play it safe anymore. Amen. 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 Yes. Father, for those who have raised their hands, we do pray that our inner being would be strengthened for your glory. That we would be the church. That wherever you take us in life, wherever we go from here, whatever tomorrow looks like, we would go on mission for King Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to live by faith and not by sight. Give us your power, Lord, that you would be glorified in your church both now and forever. Lord, until we see you face to face, keep us going. Sustain us. Empower us. Cleanse us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand as we worship the Lord? Sing together, you're worthy. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are received, if you want to take your communion elements, he says, what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he will appear again. We're going to take communion. Communion, scripture tells us, it is for believers. So we just respectfully ask if you've never you're not a believer in Jesus, if you would just respectfully let this moment pass you by. But church, the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we just pause. Pray that you would search our hearts. If there is anything within us, if there is unconfessed sin, Lord, we confess it to you now. That you would cleanse us from the inside out. We thank you. The man should not live on bread alone, but every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Lord. And that you are the word of God, the bread of life, broken to give us life. Be the sustainer of our souls. We take this now in remembrance of you. Let's take the bread together.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. As we take the cup, we remember that it is because of Jesus we have hope. It's because of Jesus we have life. It is because of Jesus we have the forgiveness of sins. Lord, we just pray now. Your word says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And you are the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sins of the world, to take away my sin, to take away your sin. Lord, we take this now in light of your sacrifice, that we are not just forgiven, but we're empowered to live on mission for you. And we look forward to that great and glorious day where we will see you face to face. We take this now in Jesus' name. God is good. Let's worship him. Sing again, lift our voices. You are worthy of it all. Yes, you are worthy of it all. Oh, you are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. Church, God bless you. Thank you for a few extra minutes here on the clock this afternoon. Pray that you would go from here empowered by the Holy Spirit, living on mission for King Jesus. If you raised your hand for anything, come on up front. There are prayer partners up here. We want to pray for you. Remember Nana's house uh, by the elevator and get connected to a group at the center ring. Last but not least, we thank you for your faithful giving of your tithes and offerings. That is an act of worship through which you are continuing to partner in the mission of God, making Jesus known here and everywhere. God bless you and stay engaged.